everybody. Welcome to the October 16th, 2015 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Gabrielle Bryant, filling in for Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you so much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on Denver City Council's move to join several U.S. cities in proclaiming this Monday to be Indigenous Peoples Day. Patricia Calhoun from Westward, what are your thoughts on that? Well, of course, Denver got rid, basically, of celebrating Columbus Day, switched with Cesar Chavez Day. So we didn't get free parking meters. So really, what's to celebrate if you don't have free parking meters? It was a little odd that they waited until that day's city council meeting, which meant we basically could celebrate Indigenous Peoples Day for about six hours before it was over. But it was certainly a lot more smooth than it was in Albuquerque and some other cities where they were really trying to replace Columbus Day with Indigenous Peoples Day. We didn't really have anything needed replacing. It was pretty soft, pretty calm. Uh, David Copel with the Independence uh, Institute and DU Law School. What are your thoughts on it? Is this just a, is it more of a kind gesture, or what? What do you think? Oh, it's the uh, I think a recognition of anti-immigrant sentiment by the uh, Denver City Council. You saw that there were people who lived in North America, and then a whole bunch of other people came contrary to the wishes of the people who were there and completely changed the place and, and took it over. And so uh, the city council, I think, was making a statement that if a place, if you can't control your own borders against people you don't want coming in, uh, you may lose your country. And that's exactly what happened to those indigenous people uh, who were victimized by illegal immigration. Political analyst Eric Sonderman, what are your thoughts on this? Oh, I think it was a gesture. Now, gestures can be important, and this was a gesture that was a long time in coming uh, among the part of, uh, of some constituencies and, and some activists. I think it's great to be able to pay tribute to indigenous people, and they probably deserve more tribute and recognition <coughs> and understanding than they've received. At the same time, I don't know that you have to cashier Christopher Columbus or cashier uh, the, the founders of this country. I think there is a... Uh, a core problem with trying to hold historical figures from centuries and centuries ago to contemporary ethical and moral standards. It just does not work in my mind. The Democratic Party these days is trying to, you know, trade out Jefferson and Jackson uh, for, you know, reasons of slavery and, and in Jackson's case, um, other reasons as well. Again, you have to evaluate historical people, to my thinking, in the context that they lived in as opposed <clears throat> to in the current context. That said, I, I don't have any problem with Indigenous People Day is what it, what it replaced. Now with the, uh, with the rage, I guess, with uh, everything coming out with, you know, people wanting to get rid of mascots and things like that, that kind of makes me think about that topic. Ben Gelt, uh, public affairs consultant, what do you think? Well, it is certainly a gesture and a long overdue one. You know, talking about the historical context that people lived in, I think, is a little bit trite, frankly. Columbus didn't discover anything. And what's more, he thought he was in China, where he was actually in Cuba. So he didn't actually make it to North America in the sort of narrative that we all like to promote. Um, and I think it's far past time to move on from this holiday. It's an ode to imperialism and racism, and it's just dated. Um, so good, let's recognize who was actually here first, and let's do more important things. 
Alrighty, let's jump right into the show. In an announcement on Thursday, Mayor Michael Hancock introduced Denver's new sheriff, Patrick Furman. Prior to taking the job, he was a longtime corrections official in suburban Chicago and most recently worked as a law enforcement consultant. According to the Denver Post, Mayor Hancock considers Furman to be an agent of change who can inspire employees. Now, Patty, we've talked about this many times at the table, everything that's going on with the sheriff's department. Is he the savior? Well, he'd better be, I think, given, <laughs> given the amount of scrutiny he's going to be under. It's interesting that people are busy talking to him about how he can't possibly deal with the Denver jails because he, his realm was suburban Chicago. I happen to be from that part of suburban Chicago. Well, so, you know, I think you can actually survive in Denver and be from uh, the northern <laughs> suburbs of Illinois. It's going to be fascinating, though, to see how he's going to incorporate all the different recommendations made by all the different studies. We've had so many. They, they said he read the 277 recommendations from the L.A. firm that had studied it. He's inheriting a big mess, and one of the messes is going to be a lot of people who are currently on the job there, including Elias Diggins, who's been doing the job, um, who are going to have some hostility. You've got also, you've got community groups that are upset because they didn't see, they didn't think they got enough notice about him, although they certainly had a lot of input into the process of what kind of a sheriff they wanted. You've got the union that is upset also because it happened so quickly. I, I would say that maybe is the only ham-handed thing so far that we're seeing. There should have been a little more advance notice to all the stakeholders in this before you suddenly got the announcement that he was going to be sworn in this morning. David, I know you have thoughts on uh, whether or not a uh, sheriff should be appointed. What are your thoughts on this? I think Mayor Hancock made a very solid appointment, and I've criticized him on lots of things, but I, th I think this one appears to be an outstanding decision. Uh, sheriff Furman has lots of experience running two large jails, not as large as Denver's, but, but big ones with, with hundreds of prisoners. There has never been any... I looked it up, looked up the cases. There's never been any lawsuits against him on the conduct in jail of his handling of, of the uh, prisoners, with, with one exception, which was a guy who killed a cop and was threatening to do more, and he was put in administrative segregation. And the court, I think, rightly found that the, the sheriff Furman had acted correctly. He is uh, the American Correctional Association, which is, sets the gold standard for, uh, for jail management. Uh, he's a certified uh, correction executive from the American Correctional Association. That, that's an important sign of, of competence and, and being serious. He also has worked hard in his previous jails to stop this cycle of recidivism, and especially in, with targeted training programs to teach people in jail some job skills so that when they get out, they can get a job and not have to go back to crime. So I'd, I'd say it's a, an outstanding selection. Now, I know uh, one of the things that has been coming up is he mentioned that there's going to be a learning curve, obviously. Can you talk to me a little bit about what your thoughts of the appointment is? It's too, you never know about appointments until you see them in action for six months or 12 months or, or two or three years. On paper, I totally agree with David and with Patty as well. I think it was a solid appointment on paper. Now, obviously, jobs are not carried out on paper, uh, and we will have to see. I give Michael Hancock credit, both with bringing Chief Robert White to town and now Sheriff Patrick Furman. This was a segment, by and large, I'm a big believer in hiring locally, but there is a time when you don't hire locally. And given everything that had bedeviled this police department, and even more so over recent years, the sheriff's department, you had to go out of town. 
it better be a good appointment because it took long enough to get to this point. I mean, we have been waiting for this appointment for, you know, for more than a year, it seems like. I don't have the exact period of time. There are prisoners out at Denver jail who have served their complete sentence while this search, uh, while this search was underway. Um, he's not only going to have a learning curve, Gabrielle, I think he's going to have uh, some immediate challenges, and not just the usual challenges, but Patty touched on it. Uh, I think there are some people who are looking for him to fail and would be glad to throw a few banana peels in his way, and he's going to have to navigate his way around that and set some firm standards of what uh, the expectations of this job will be and what will not be tolerated. His early actions will set the tone for what's to come. He definitely has a long road ahead of him. I'm hoping that we don't have to continue talking about the Sheriff's Department uh, with him in office. What do you think? Well, hopefully we don't have to talk about it in such a negative light and we won't see the city of Denver paying, what, three times more in lawsuits than the city of Baltimore that has uh, crime rates that are not comparable to ours. You know, I think certainly um, the other panelists have touched on the fact that he's coming from, a, from smaller places and I think whether he's able to really be as functional or successful in a more urban environment uh, than the suburban environment that he comes from will be hugely critical to his success. And I think really one of the huge obstacles that he faces is the general distrust that exists between communities in Denver, particularly communities of color and lower income communities, and the Department of Safety as a whole. Um, there is just a huge disconnect today. And whether this gentleman from, the sub from suburban Chicago can begin to address those issues and make those communities whole and feel like they're being um, you know, made part of the process and not just subjected to the system um, will really be critical. I think that the way that the search uh, was carried out is not a good first step. There's been some uh, rumblings about the lack of transparency, the lack of inclusion, the lack of uh, public participation in that process. And to wit, we had this announcement come out as sort of a surprise. So we'll see what comes. Uh, it certainly will take time, but there's a huge amount of work to be done, and it's a big problem that he's trying to tackle. All right, we're going to jump to the national level on this one. Days after Bernie Sanders visited Colorado, he, along with four other Democratic presidential candidates, took to the debate stage Tuesday night. In the CNN-hosted event, many saw Hillary Clinton as the contender with issues of income equality, climate change, and gun control being discussed. David, what are your major takeaways? This was uh, the, the Clinton bots' 26th presidential debate. For everybody else on stage, it was their first. It clearly showed. The software up upgrade was outstanding, and boy, you know, the animatronic presidents have come so far since uh, President Lincoln walked on that, that stage at, uh, at, at Disneyland so long ago. The, her performance was excellent. Her supporters and even some of the, it seems, much of the Democratic Party doesn't care that she was transparently lying uh, about so many things, including uh, purporting that her flip-flop on the Pacific trade deal uh, was what she'd actually been thinking all along. In my own view, and there's some, some in the media have agreed with this as well, the candidate who gained the most other than her uh, was Jim Webb, because you had, three, you had three candidates who were essentially unknown. Uh, to the general public, and certainly uh, former Governor O'Malley, for people who were ultras on anti-gun, and that's their big issue, he did a good job of attracting them. 
uh, Lincoln Chafee, a very honest man, uh, who's my second choice for the nomination, but didn't have a very strong performance in, in the debate. But Jim Webb spoke to people who believe in the party of John F. Kennedy and Harry Truman of strong national defense, of a party that stands up against cronyism, which Ms. Clinton embodies, uh, and fight, fights for work, really fights for working men and working women, and who is against Marxism and recognizes it as an evil doctrine rather than something that ought to be uh, imposed as some kind of Marx, Marxism light. Uh, so I hope uh, more people come out of this voting for either the guy who's right on the issues, which is Jim Webb, or the guy who is honest and scandal-free, which is Lincoln Chafee. All right, Eric, I, some might consider Ben Sanders to be like the people champ. I know we haven't really talked about him just yet. What do you think? Well, I guess I have to start by thinking, uh, I hate to break it to David, but I think you're going to be sadly disappointed <laughs> in the outcome here. I, 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 I I'm just somewhat afraid of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Lincoln Chafee, uh, the block of granite that he described himself as, is probably not going to be the nominee. I, I share some of the sentiment about Jim Webb. I think he's a very admirable person, but he's a person without a party in, in this polarized climate. Uh, he would have been an attractive Democratic candidate 30 years ago. But uh, this party has moved way left of him. Hillary Clinton had a, a very good night, and she did everything she needed to do, probably plus a little. Uh, but let's not forget that this was not a debate among the A-team. Hillary Clinton was the only A-team person there. Otherwise, it was the B-team, or in baseball terms, you know, double-A ball at best. I'm not even sure this was uh, a triple-A ball in, in most cases. It stands apart from the Republican debates where you have a number of plausible presidents on the stage. Hillary Clinton won because, she, as viewers tuned in, even if your sound was down, she was the only plausible president on that stage. Uh, Bernie Sanders does a great job of being Bernie Sanders. But I think his ultimate impact in this race is a potentially problematic one for Democrats, which is these, this is a party that is already moving pretty significantly to the left. And Bernie Sanders is exerting a strong gravitational pull, pulling it even further to the left. I think the other loser uh, on Tuesday night, Wednesday night, whatever night it was, was probably Joe Biden. And that if he is seriously thinking about entering this race, or if he was seriously thinking, he needed to be on that stage to present one other plausible president standing up there in addition to Hillary Clinton. And for all of those doubting people in the party who were getting ready to hit the panic button, Clinton did more than enough to reassure them, and I think that it, it complicates the Biden calculation of what he wants to do. Ben, what were some of your takeaways from the debate? Well, it's fascinating watching the pundit class talk about it. And, you know, having watched it, my takeaway was that Bernie Sanders crushed the competition in that debate. And I appreciate that Hillary has, a, has greater name ID and um, a, a bigger history, and there are more eyes on her in some ways. But I think that that's largely... Uh, the people that have already formed opinions. And I think if you go out into the real world where people don't really care about this every day and you, and you get feedback on what they heard and, and what they felt, and you can look at every single network, every single one that did surveys after the debate, Bernie cleaned up in every single one. So, you know, to me, what I saw was a sort of a, an, a, a first sort of 
announcement of here I am to the American public, we already know Hillary. We already know all of her baggage. We know all this stuff. And in an age where, you know, subtlety is dead, we have a guy who hasn't been subtle for 30 years continuing to do what he's going to do. And I think it's much more resonant than anybody on national television wants to talk about because, frankly, he represents, a, at least rhetorically, a real change from the status quo. And he's the only one up there saying things that a lot of people are feeling in this country. People are feeling the income inequality. They're feeling their college debt. They're feeling all this stuff. Nobody is feeling Hillary's emails. Nobody cares. And that, you know, moment where Hil where Bernie said, nobody cares about this, I thought was right on the money. And to me, all this talk about Hillary blah, blah, blah is just that. It's blah, blah, blah. Anybody watching with fresh eyes heard something different and new. And that's why Bernie Sanders has more donors online than any candidate in history, has more traction than Barack Obama had at this stage in 2008. And I think that, you know, what you see is essentially the pundit class and the media trying to hang on to the status quo and dismiss what he did as much as possible. And I think it's a, you know, it's a mistake that will come back to play uh, when he's maybe the nominee. And I appreciate that he's a socialist or whatever, but I don't think Americans really care that much. The, the idea of American, um, oh, what's the word, it, you know, where Americans think that we're the greatest, that notion is dead. It does, it's no longer the majority view in this country. So the, and I think what's more and more the majority view is that something needs to change. And he's the only one up there saying it. So I thought it was pretty clear. All righty, Patty, I'll let you wrap this up for us. Well, I think eight years ago, we also heard that things needed to change, and we've seen a lot of disappointment in the person we voted for, uh, that many of us voted for. I don't know about everyone else at this table. You probably weren't too young. I was not. <laughs> I caucused for him. All right, you caucused for him. Um, I have to disagree with you as a minor league pundit. I care about Hillary Clinton's emails because I care about the fact that sh the story has shifted so many times that You're it showed such... person, though. Uh, well, no, but I'm just saying I, they will start caring at certain points, and it does speak to the issue of how honest is she, how much her story changed, how programmed is she, the things that David was talking about. I'll, I agree, though, that that was a great moment from Ber for Bernie Sanders because what came across was actually a person who was genuine. And certainly he doesn't want the media to just be talking about Hillary and Hillary's emails anymore. He wants to talk about more sub other substantial issues. We think about those issues too, but he, you know, he was very entertaining. He was very articulate. I would love to see him take on Donald Trump. I wish what we could do with these endless debates we're going to have for the next several months and then when we go party to party next year is actually match up some much more interesting people to talk because right now you just saw people who weren't really talking to each other they weren't in Hillary's case I don't even think she was talking to the American people she was just talking to her script all right, we're going to localize it with this last one here. With Colorado School Board elections on the horizon, races in areas like Jeffco, Denver, and Aurora are heating up. Finance reports are in, and they show large amounts of money being funneled into various campaigns. Historically, these type of elections seem to go unnoticed and are of low interest. Um, Eric, what are your thoughts on this? Um, I know education is a big thing for a lot of people. What do you think? Well, historically, it was a number of years ago. The, 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 the idea that school board races are attracting substantial money is not something that just happened in 2015. If you go back 10, 20 years, you're absolutely right, Gabrielle. But over that period of time, uh, these races have become increasingly hot. I guess my analysis is just as the country has polarized on so many other issues, left, right, 
we have polarized around education too. Now the lines are not the same lines that they are around other political issues. Uh, and around some ed reform issues, you have this unusual coalition of free market conservatives with Barack Obama and Arne Duncan and, 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 and some of the incumbent class in Washington, D.C. But there is definitely a polarized divide out there about education issues. You see it in Jefferson County, you see it in Douglas County, and you see it in, in, in the city and county of Denver as well, and you're going to, it's going to spread elsewhere in the state. Aurora Public Schools was subject to a recent report that came out maybe 10 days ago, a very damning report about the quality of that product and a whole coalition of people coming together to talk about what needs to take place in Aurora. I have long contended that the real challenge, DPS gets so much of the attention, and DPS is doing some interesting, very positive things. But the real problem of uh, quality education around here is uh, uh, among those inner ring suburbs of whether it's Aurora or Thornton or, 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 or run the list. Uh, obviously the JEPCO, I'll, I'll wrap this up, but obviously the JEPCO uh, recalls are very hot, attracting a, a lot of money. And I thought it was interesting that the Denver Post did opine editorially. Uh, that this recall was out of place. For those of us who thought the gun recalls were a step too far, now the chickens are coming home to roost and you have um, people on the left trying to recall some conservatives. Recalls in my mind should be safe for extraordinary circumstances. This is not it in Jeffco. Ben, uh, what's your quick take on this? I know reform is a word that keeps coming up in a lot of these discussions with the school board elections. What are your thoughts? Well, reform is an interesting word, particularly when you look in DPS, where the reform crowd, depending on who you believe, has been in power for at least a decade, I would argue for significantly longer than that. You know, my, my take, and I've, all, all these elections are really fascinating, whether you want to talk about DPS school board, where there's a possibility we'll have a unanimous board and really you could argue a total loss of democracy when it comes to how DPS is governed. Um, certainly in Jefferson County, it's going to be contentious with the recall. I was surprised that the Denver Post yesterday came out and editorialized against the recall. I think maybe they wanted to get rid of those last pesky liberal subscribers they had. Um, you know, personally to me, if I wanted to get on a, on a soapbox and talk about uh, what's important with these issues, I, I think the fact that there is no real campaign finance uh, rules or laws with the school board races is a travesty. I think it's led to some of the problems that we have in Denver where I know the most about and I, I'd like to see a change there so that people can't pump unlimited money into these campaigns. All right, uh, Patty, what are your thoughts on um, what's happening with the school board election? Seems like a lot of people are paying attention this time around. Well, and that's good. I mean, I think we've seen many elections where we don't have enough people pay attention and if it takes Bernie Sanders and it takes Donald Trump on the national scene and it takes uh, recall campaign, which is partly misguided, partly you understand where they're coming from, but if people are talking and thinking more about it, that's good because we've seen way too many decades where people are paying no attention at all to these smaller elections. So, but Ben's absolutely right in the fact that there's way too much money being spent on it too. It would be better to just like be standing in the local grocery store and yelling at your neighbors. <laughs> David, I'll let you wrap this one up for us. It's completely rational for the national unions to pump huge amounts of money into things like the Jeffco uh, recall. It's, they've already had the loss of lots of school choice like charter schools and things like that in inner cities and this reform spreading to 
suburban school districts, as in Douglas County and in Jefferson County, is an existential threat to their system of the schools being run for the benefit of the union rather than for the benefit of families in an inclusive way that respects the diversity of different children and different learning styles. Jeffco built the, the current board built a new school without having to borrow any money. Do you know what a threat that kind of behavior is to that whole iron triangle of the bond lawyers and and everything else? So of, of course they're putting money into it, and it, it, it it's a very smart move from their point of view. And also the Independence Institute is also uh, spending in, its own resources in public education on this issue because we think uh, that the board is going in the right direction of reform, diversity, and inclusiveness. All righty, let's get to the end of the show. What's uh, your disgrace of the week? Well, it's a long-running disgrace. This, is the, this week we marked the 10th anniversary of the cleanup of Rocky Flats. It was supposed to be cleaned up as a refuge. There wasn't money put in for to ever really open it. Maybe they're looking at 2017. There's a lot of argument about how clean it really is, but my concern is that whether or not they open it, we need to save the history. The grand jurors still have never been able to talk. We have no idea if the Fish and Wildlife, which is in charge of it, will put out a visitor center that says, you're walking where plutonium was processed, and here are the different environmental crimes that were alleged there. We need to remember the history. David? I understand people get scandal fatigue with the Clintons, uh, and it certainly would never end if, if she were president. But on this email thing, put aside all the lies and the fact that she was doing it to hide her uh, crony relationship with foreign governments putting money into her private foundation. Forgive her for that, because that's, that's what she does. The email storage of her secret email was so incompetently insecure that she was, in essence, making sure that the Chinese and Russian intelligence services knew exactly what she was doing before President Obama did. That level of incompetent disregard for national security it's one thing to hide it from the American people, but to do it in a way that gives it to the Russians and the Chinese and whoever they want to share it with is recklessly irresponsible and it makes her unfit to be commander-in-chief. Eric? Channel 12 premiered a film a couple nights ago uh, by, uh, called Education, Inc. by a Castle Rock, Douglas County filmmaker. Credit to Channel 12 for uh, putting various points of view on the air. But I got to say, this film was about as one-sided and loaded a presentation as you could possibly imagine. We keep hearing about uh, the selective editing of the Planned Parenthood videos. Well, whoever edited those videos... You know, uh, this guy, Brian Malone, who was the filmmaker, could teach them a t thing or two about selective editing. My favorite was toward the end of the film where they had a split screen, and on one side were called citizens, and on the other side were called reformers, as if reformers are not also citizens of the United States somehow. It was a completely loaded, biased presentation. <laughs> ben, what are your thoughts? Well, I'd like to point out the continuing buffoonery at, uh, of the leadership at the University of Colorado. Uh, I'm a proud alumnus, and I'm frankly tired of seeing the university cast in this negative light where they're bringing all these uh, presidential hopefuls to campus, and they won't let students come and see them. So it seems to me if they didn't want student problems with the Republican debate, maybe they shouldn't have had it in Boulder. Um, so I'm just tired of seeing our flagship university cast in such a negative light. Can we do a quick say something nice? Sure, our colleague... <laughs> who will probably never be at this table again, Eric. 
After after bashing Channel 12? <laughs> <laughs> David? The people of Israel standing and fighting against continuing Palestinian terrorism. Eric? To be very clear, I credited Channel 12. I bashed the film, but thank you very much, Patty. Uh, State Representative Angel Williams for the law. She's going to introduce the legislation on bad apple cops who keep popping up in other states. Good for her for tackling this piece of it. Ben? I want to thank First Industrial Realty Trust. They stepped up and donated warehouse space to the Denver Toys for Tots initiative, a group that I've worked with for a couple of years, and so very appreciative of their generous donation. And I'd urge viewers to go to aurora-co.toysfortots.org to find a location near you to give some toys for kids in need this Christmas. That's all the time we have for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. You can catch any part of the show or CIO postgame online, and be sure to check out the podcast on iTunes. Remember, you can also catch the season two premiere of Street Level this Tuesday at 7 p.m., where host Eden Lane takes us to Denver's Santa Fe Arts District. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Gabrielle Bryant. Thanks for watching. Good night.